All I'm saying is fan fiction is valid literature. 100%. Okay. <laughs> There's a cold open. I like the cold opens. I think we should do more of them. That's why I think it's it's good. Season two will be the year of cold opens. <laughs> that will be awesome. Greetings from the void, and welcome to another episode of Chronic Media Consumption. My name is Kelly. And mine is Michelle. Michelle, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about the power of fan works. So that spans everything from fan fiction, adaptations, reimagining of existing works, and fan art. Cosplay can also be tossed into there. It's just the power of the fans. And kind of where that power and fanaticism comes from and what we see in the modern era, as well as historical instances that are treated differently than what we have today. So I am a huge fan of fan works. I consume so many. I currently, I don't know if I am brave enough to see how many tabs I have open right now. Do you, do, do you oh, want to no. do this? Do you want to do this? <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Okay. I only have 84. Only 84, ladies and gentlemen. Only <laughs> 84. Only 84 tabs. And so those are all open for fan fictions that I am actively consuming in a variety of fandoms. Because, gosh, these creators, they do some amazing work. Great interpretations, deeper insights, character analyses, character studies, exploration of alternate universes, different timelines, sometimes even just very, what is the word I'm looking for? Faithful, very faithful interpretations of the existing work with insight to how somebody might have been thinking to justify their actions, to add depth and nuance. Not to say there isn't a plethora of trash, but you have to have some of that to be able to get all these wonderful diamonds. And it is a wonderful proving ground for young creators and authors to explore things. Everyone goes through a Mary Sue phase. Everyone goes through a self-insert fan fiction phase. Like that's, that's a thing. And we shouldn't bash those who are younger and doing that. If you don't want to read it, don't read it. Don't bash it. I do not like the flames and hatred that come in through these things. But it is such a massive community. And we have some really cool examples and then uh, some more in-depth insights to these. And I, this is definitely going to be I, a more me-focused episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do, I do want to add as well that what you said about how fan works, you know, they there are... There are a, a bunch, a bunch of works that are not great. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of dig to find the diamonds in the rough. But that can also be said for any form of media that is currently in existence. That goes for books, movies, TV shows. You look at our current media scape. And that is like, very I mean, true. there's a reason why Borders Books was a giant freaking place. Like, uh, that's a reason why Amazon, like, has all of the money. <laughs> you're 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 100 percent correct that is such a good point because sometimes it gets a little lost because 
without it being a more established or respected art form, they pull out the less savory pieces and say, look at this. It's representative of all of it. And you're like, no, it's not. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like that, there's the, the, the hashtag that we both, I think we both follow on TikTok, which is men writing women. <laughs> yep. And I mean, there are some established and like really critically acclaimed authors that are being roasted yeah. because of how they write females. Like Artic she walked boobily into the room. Articulated like, what, what? articulated breasts. What? Yes. And that that is Philip K. Dick. Let's talk about that. Like, Philip K. Dick is a well-known author and he's talking about artic well articulated breasts. Uh what what what? Anyway. With fan works, fan works uh, can be defined as just basically any kind of of homage or even just a retranslation of anything that's currently in existence, to be fair. Yeah, it's it's basically taking anything that is canon that has been created typically for pay, not always, but that was kind of the thing where somebody sold this professionally and then right, somebody who, work. correct. And then somebody who is not profiting off of the work is usually viewed as just a fan. They're creating a fan work, not for profit. And that is a pretty strict line that exists in modern works that did not always exist. I'm looking at you, Dante. And Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. So there's a long history of people reinterpreting fan works or, or existing works for a modern audience. I mean, speaking of self-insert fan fiction, Dante's Inferno. That's literally just him hanging out with his favorite bros, going to hell, going to heaven. Like he's doing this whole thing where... He's the main character and it's this wonderful experience. And people are like, this is amazing literature. And I'm like, I, okay. I mean, are we going to start talking about like Ebony Ravenway? What is there? Ebony Darkness Ravenway? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I got to say her whole name. Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway. One of the most well-known and well traded around fan fictions that is a blatant Mary Sue. Some crazy stuff that happens. It is a fan fiction called My Immortal in the Harry Potter universe. And was clear. And that's a fan of Harry Potter and an Evanescence fan mm -hmm. thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that is comparable to Dante's Inferno. I, I, I never Ebony. got to read. I never, I never was assigned to read Dante, and I'm kind of thankful. And that I, we're fairly certain was written as a troll, or at least turned into that. In the beginning, they may have been serious, but it, it's there is literally a decades long hunt to find a decade long hunt to find the author, the real author, for that that fan fiction and there have been people who've claimed that they were the person and that's been debunked and it's like this whole whole thing <laughs> it's 
Actually, that person's going to come out and they, they're they like this really well-respected like Hollywood producer or something like that. that that's would, a, I think that would be great. They that's work on a the possibility. Fantastic Beast films. Um, <laughs> and that's a possibility. It's also a possibility that it was somebody who you know died long ago and that's why they disappeared. Someone who's totally forgotten about these things. It's just a random person from I- I- Iowa. I don't know. But there's there's people who like make YouTube videos that are just analyzing the pros and like they think it was actually two people writing together and uh, it's this whole thing. It's a whole thing. So yeah. So there's people who analyze that as much as people analyze Dante's Inferno. It just hasn't existed long enough to have the entire body of work. But I'm not just speaking of, of fan fiction. I'm I'm thinking of all you know fan works. And so that is, you know, people making fan comics, including some not safe for work ones. A lot, a lot, a lot. And we're talking about a, a lot as in a large volume of works that are not safe for work and a lot in that they are a lot in and of themselves. Don't ever look up Marge Simpson. Just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever, don't, oh, if you're looking up any Hermione and Draco pairings, I warn you in advance, if they use an Engorgio charm, run away. Yeah, that's, that's it's not where you think it's going to be. (laughs) So, so speaking of those, not that particular one, but in general, fandoms that have had some of the largest amounts of fiction that have been written there's a very big body of work like it's it's pretty intense when you actually look at these and there's a variety of sites live journal is one that people were doing a lot with fan fiction as well as their own blogs and things people were using quizilla to make fan fiction in quizzes I never got into that, so I don't really know how that works. Fanfiction.net, adultfanfiction.net. There's Media Miner. Oh, man, that takes me back. Wattpad. (laughs) Yep. Wattpad is the, to some people, it's their favorite, but the formatting, the searching, the lack of tagging, it is very much the dirty, the dirty Wild West. Like, it's the Wild (laughs) West with, like, chlamydia. And oh my god. It's not and that's where we get a lot of stuff where they're like, "Oh, there's a ton of people who are reading this and everyone loves it for the comments." Like the the comment fact functions are really big and people will literally like go to a terrible fic just to read all the comments because people like really get into interesting conversations apparently. I don't get into that world, but we have that to thank for 50 Shades of Grey. So, mm. Let, let's say 50 Shades of Grey was a fan fiction of twilight twilight and twilight itself was kind of an homage to something else and then let's talk about another film that came out based off of these things what was it oh my god the one that was like a hundred chapters long and then had a sequel and it's now a a major motion picture not mortal not mortal mortal instruments right no while i'm doing this if any Buddy is interested in kind of dipping their toe in some of the crazier fan fiction stuff. I highly recommend uh, Fine Pairings as a podcast because they they sit around, they drink, they just they just get drunk. They read different fan fictions to each other over the course of the episode. Their very first two episodes, 
is called there it's based off of the the fan fiction called after this is a fan work that went above and beyond it is not good but people love oh, it's it the so Harry Styles much. one. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I literally blanked that out, and honestly, I don't want to give it much airtime because <laughs> that's not. No, one that's that I... fine. Yeah. This is just it. It 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 struck a chord in my brain yeah. because I'm listening to this, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a major movie now out about it," and I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" And like that that podcast, Fine Pairings, is actually really great because you can listen to. These these stories that are fan written, they are not getting paid for for having their stories read, you know. And it's just really interesting to hear some of these things. And like Michelle said, a lot of these are really faithful to their source materials. Mm-hmm. For example, there's one episode which is a crossover between Supernatural and My Little Pony. I mean, okay. Yeah, two things that you did not expect to ever be crossed over, but listening to it, listening to the chapters, the the excerpts that they read, it completely, 100% embodied the two main characters of Sam and Dean, and it also embodied the My Little Pony story and characters, and it was actually a really faithful rendition and i thought it was really funny that that was a thing basically in in fan works anything you can dream of there's somebody who's probably made it whenever i am watching a new show a new movie i'm reading a book and i'm like oh man i love this i wonder if they do this and then they don't i go in and i immediately search fan fiction and be like okay somebody saw what i saw i'm not crazy they wrote it the we already spoke with a lot of the different sites, but the main site that is, I think, the creme de la creme when it comes to these is Archive of Our Own. Beyond, also known as AO3. Yes. Beyond anything else, they have their core organization, which is the Organization for Transformative Works. They focus on supporting these creation creations by fans, believing that fan works are transformative, that transformative works are legitimate and they should be protected and so they have a wonderful archive for their fan lore they have legal advocacy so they protect and defend fan works from commercial exploitation legal challenge they are offering opportunities for the culture for these creators to build up out out of these platforms and have that kind of secure breeding ground for creativity that is something that you know, in the current day and age of commercialization to the max, we often are not even given an opportunity to be truly creative without it having to be capitalized on. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you're doing your side hustle. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm making a thing. Oh, well, are you selling it? No, I'm just making it because I love it. Whenever someone tries to go into a whole spiel, on if we didn't have capitalism we didn't have wages we didn't work 40 hours everyone would be lazy sitting at home i mean some of us would be but you know how many people create things on a volunteer basis have you ever been to the fan page for a bts stan like come on they are not paid for the amount of work they do so like all of those things show that that viewpoint is blatantly false because people will be passionate 
They will keep doing what they love. And if we had the opportunity to do that without somebody trying to exploit it, it will keep happening. And that kind of circles back to why we initially even started talking about this topic for today. It's because it's really timely because there are some things that are going on right now in legislation that are really a threat to all these fan works. So they have the ongoing attack that seems to happen in the cyclical pattern of anything that is LGBTQ, any form of expression, representation online is attacked. That's why there were two purges on fanfiction.net. And now a lot of people have migrated away from that site because anything that even mentioned a gay couple were destroyed and anything that was explicit was completely banned and people's entire accounts were nuked because they were against community guidelines that previously hadn't existed. And they gave very little notice for those changes. And then we also have the proposals that are going through for a variety of of legal things. There's there's the Earn It Act. That one is not necessarily going to like directly affect some of our works, but it is absolutely a loop, like a step closer to trying to prevent people from having fan works and having a building block Mm -hmm. and if you do that it's getting a foot in the door that makes it easier for other things to come through the pipeline i i find it very interesting where people are like well it doesn't directly affect me and i was like you don't see the snowball effect like it's coming for you yeah it's up on the mountain and the avalanche is coming but you're standing down below at the base of that mountain it will hit you eventually. And we have other trademark laws that are coming through where they're claiming that it's going to be like helping people. It's the Shop Safe Act, which is such a misleading term, but they're trying to restrict online marketplaces that sell any of these products. And I completely understand that creators who are designing something that have their trademark, they've created this, put all the work into marketing it. I mean, Disney is famous for this. If you try to use anything that they created, they're going to come after you. And that's completely fine. But these are... I I would also like to point out that Disney was made famous by taking stories that were already in existence and... And reinterpreting it 100%. Snow they, White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Let's talk about all of the fairy tales. It, even Mulan. Yeah. Like, that That's not really your story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> the way they treated Disney. Pocahontas in their Disney stories, too. Oh. Very, very inaccurate. So that that's 100% true. And then they worked so hard to be able to change the laws to make it so that their copyright did not expire and they did not go into public works. That is a very, very good point because fan works existed and have become almost a threat to the people who are trying to create this bastion of like, well, this is ours. And I'm like, well, that's a recent thing. That's why like patent law, copyright, trademark, all of those things are such a crazy experience. And so they're they're definitely newer products. That is a, a very big factor where a lot of these things, they're almost making it so that there's a combative situation against the creator. And that's not 
all creators by any means. Like so many of them are so welcoming of their fans. They are collaborative. They're interactive. They love the fan works. One of the groups that is the best with that is a creative team behind Critical Role. They Mm -hmm. do such a good job where they highlight fan works. They work directly with fans. They create characters around what fans feedback and suggestions are and their they've, fan base they've even released they've released art books filled yes. with the fan art from those fans exactly they've, i and mean their, that's their fan fantastic. environment their fan environment is not always the most like safe there's a lot of no. toxic people in there who are just going to be bashing there's for some reason they hate marisha ray makes no sense she is a delight but they they definitely have such a good way of managing that and so impressive for people who this basically blew up organically overnight and then just keeps going yeah they have their new show on amazon right now they've just finished their their first season and it's phenomenal it's it's absolutely amazing and it i believe that it is only in existence because their fan base is so vehement so loud about how much they absolutely love this group of people and love the works that they have created, the stories that they have created together. You're 100% correct. Um, I, I would count Vox Machina, uh, The Legend of Vox Machina, as a fan work because it was fan funded. They yeah. went through and did that Kickstarter campaign. They were so in tune with their fans. They blew their goal out of the water. They hit within the every, first couple hours. Yes. They hit every yeah. single one of their stretch goals and then they took that and they that that uh, track record of success and were able to go from there to be able to present it to various agencies and producers, directors and Amazon picked him up because they saw that this was going to be a, a great success, but they did, they were so smart in maintaining control of their design and they were the voice actors. They worked with the artists directly, the storyboard, everything is just, ah, oh, so well done. And just they, like, bravo. They, that, yeah, that company is actually an amazing company, critical role. Because they they have even hired some of their fans mm-hmm. onto their team. Arthqueef is uh, one of their one of the first fans that they hired. Oh well, I mean, if anybody has seen the Dan- Critical Andy Role Carr. recaps, mm-hmm. um, like she she was a huge fan, and they hired her on to do all of this extra stuff, including doing the Critical recap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danny Carr, I mean, she's great. Yeah, like that's that's an amazing company. They recognize the power that their fans hold and they respect it. They're not yeah. going to quash it. They're going to help promote it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is very important. And it, uh, this new bill is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to threaten that kind of crap. So I recommend going and communicating with Senate senators and any people yeah representatives of all kinds so that you can let them know that you do not want it they're trying to push these things through quietly while we're distracted by the rest of the world burning so yeah good times and so that those are kind of the the more serious tones on this but there's so much awesome stuff that we can talk about one of the pieces i want you you mentioned earlier the translation side of things that is so relevant because 
as we have been having a explosion of technology that's allowed us to have interconnectivity with cultures all over the world, we're able to have a appreciation for other cultures and their works. A lot of these various works from China that were written and not censored, that are then censored when they're put on TV, when they're initially written, they aren't translated. The fan translate, the fans translate them. And then they get so popular that they're like, oh, well, maybe we should actually translate them. Happened with a lot of anime. A lot of anime. Yes. So a lot of anime had um, the fan people who were translating and and bringing them over with their subtitles. There was all these like pop-up groups that were working on getting them translated, getting them out. You were getting them basically on like burned DVDs. They were not always the, the highest quality, but they were trying to get these out. And now like the more recent one that we've seen the actual translation for is a stuff from MXT's. X, who is the the Chinese the author of like the scum villain self saving system heaven's official heaven officials blessing grandmaster of demonic cultivation, all of these are uh, series that were written that have been turned into a variety of works, animes, uh, live action, the Untamed on Netflix. As any person who's listened to this show already knows. I am a huge fan. I am trying to get as many people obsessed with it as I can because it is just gorgeous. But those were initially translated by fans and the um, Seven Seas Entertainment, they did such a good job with their translation. There's definitely aspects of it where, you know, it wasn't necessarily faithful to what it meant or the, the translation had some things that were slightly off, but it was enough for so many new fans to get obsessed. And as soon as they saw other media, they were scrambling to read the original works, which are long, (laughs) very long. (laughs) This author, she is prolific, but they are wonderful. And you're able to actually get confirmation and less of the whole like, and they stared at each other longingly to more. And that bush in particular is memorable because I tore you out of your clothes there. So great, great different interpretations. But because of how popular that was, they were able to get official translations that were released in the US just last year. And they're just the first one. So people are like, Oh, wow, this is such a thin book. And I'm like, Oh, honey, that's just volume one. And they're going to be releasing the other ones as they go. But these are going to be so cool to see they have all of them and they're already seeing how popular they are and more people are getting on the bandwagon so that's fan driven work that is literally giving appreciation to the original creator expanding the audience building more appreciation and fanaticism i love it so much changing the fabric of fans on this side of the the world too because mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of people, like, I know a lot of people who watch TV and movies and they prefer not to have subtitles because they just, they don't want to read it. They think it's boring, blah, 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 you know, or maybe if they have ADHD, it's just harder for them. But having the ability to have all of these, these works from overseas coming back here and, and having the ability to have them translated or voiced over so that 
we can get it like that's fantastic that's allowing us to have so much a much wider spread mm-hmm. of 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 genres that we're into mm-hmm. it allows us to find a lot more media that we can just devour yeah it it's it's so wonderful and i think it's also exposing people to more of the different perspectives we are becoming more of a global society. It's not just a global economy, but it's also sharing the wonderful things that we have and in the world. I, I'm so excited about it. It's so freaking cool. And in this particular instance, I want to say this author, she became a three-time New York best New York Times best seller in the the week um, in one week with her debut of her novels. Triple wow. New York Times best-selling author. Holy crap, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I strive <laughs> to be a one, yeah. one time. Just yeah. one time I'd like to be on that list. But yeah. So, so freaking cool. And I mean, I, I was speaking a little earlier, this like the top fandoms that we see fan works. And, and this is just from AO3, but we have so many fan works. These are hundreds of thousands of works that people are writing that are all over the map the the top fan works there let's see we have the marvel cinematic universe marvel in general harry potter supernatural yeah supernatural is was quite a lot the my hero academia star wars these all have huge numbers of people who are contributing to the fan works on a daily basis. And And I mean, we can even we can even go far back to one of the first known modern examples. One of the first mm-hmm. modern examples of fan fiction was with fanzines. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fanzine with Star Trek where they would tell their own stories. And that's actually where the phrase the the term shipping came from as well and slash fiction because of kirk slash spock yep yeah Yeah. it's it's definitely that kind of where i was going with that you know these are the ones that are some of the top contributors at the moment but they all have to rely on the granddaddy that was before technology and a lot of people these days they're like oh yeah star star trek is for for the guys it's sci-fi Guys, it's it's a soap opera in space, and it was made popular by housewives who would hand write their little stories and send them to each other. Like this yeah, was and not. Let's talk about how the fact that wasn't it heavily funded by Lucille Ball. I don't remember that fact, so I can't say for sure. I, I'm gonna Google that real quick. Okay. But yes, that is the granddaddy of these, and it was driven heavily by the the spurk, or uh, spork, or whatever you want to call it, Kirk slash Spock side of things. And they have some really like intelligent analyses of like episode by episode what all of their actions meant. And this was a time when you weren't streaming episodes, so they had to you know, sit there watch it record it when they could get the the release the vhs tapes as soon as they came out rewatch i mean with star trek recordings weren't reruns weren't even a thing weren't even a thing yeah so this was they didn't have the ability to record it they didn't have the ability to buy them on vhs all of that came decades later 
So this was one of those where they were super dedicated fans, literally sitting there writing as much as they could about what was happening as the episodes were airing. It's fascinating. And talking about the analysis they used to do, they did character analysis, meta analysis of episodes. They were the original Tumblr. Yeah. And going back to the Lucille Ball thing, I found a a site here that says, although Lucille Ball wasn't involved in the creative side of Star Trek, she was pivotal in financing the series. As the experts in the center seat make clear, what makes Ball's support of Trek so unusually historic is that she refinanced a second pilot episode after the first episode, The Cage, was rejected outright. Mm. Lucy was only too happy to put her money where her famous mouth was. So she is responsible for basically putting Star Trek on our television sets. That's cool. I didn't know that. And I guess, was was she a fan or did she just, I don't know if that's I think she was the... a huge fan of Gene Roddenberry oh. and she liked she I think she was a big fan of sci-fi in general as well. This is speculation. This part is complete speculation. I don't 100% know, but she saw I she saw potential and she backed it and look at where it's left us. Yeah. How many different Star Trek shows are there at this point? Beyond how many different Star, Star Trek, Trek? Yeah, Star Trek inspired the entire genre. Yeah. And, yeah, I because mean, people didn't think that it was going to be successful. Before then, it was people making, you know, B-movies, if that, that were spoofs. You know, Barbarella comes to mind. So they they weren't necessarily thinking that this was going to be a widespread content. And it's exploded and become one of the largest and most lasting genres. Yeah. So, I mean, and... and- Star Trek itself even inspired Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Oh, I see where you're going with that. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, because Galaxy Quest was a movie that was clearly made by fans for fans. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was made about fans, for sure. Yeah, 100%. It was was just a great thing. But there are other films and TV shows and even video games that are, like, fan works that are fantastic. That have have been allowed to grow on their own. One of I, one of the random things that I saw when I was I think just out of college was a movie called Fanboys, and it's a movie about a group of of guys, these best friends from school, who have grown up, and they hear that George Lucas has just finished filming Star Wars Episode One, and they're one of their best buddies has been diagnosed with cancer and he's not going to be able to see it premiere. Mm -hmm. So they go on this epic quest to drive across the country and break into the George Lucas's ranch to basically steal the only existing copy to let him watch it before he dies. That is is the most logical way of doing that. (laughs) Of course. It is a wild and crazy ride. It is is definitely painting these guys as like not exactly the good kind of nerd. Yeah. But they definitely still they live up to the fanatic side of things. Yes. I think that's the difference between between fanboys and Galaxy Quest is they're both taking these these works and showing the fans in different lights. In fact, even fanboys has a section where they make fun of Star Trek fans. 
Seth Rogen plays, I think, like three or four different characters in this, sh- mm-hmm. this movie. It's it's fun. It's a nice romp. It's not really 100% representative of the fans, but it's, it's definitely representative of a subsection. Indeed. William Shatner's in it, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's there's some actually great cameos, but it's. It's an interesting thing to see. Like, Fanboys was definitely a movie that was written by Star Wars fans. And it was at the same time where we had already seen, the audience has already seen the three prequels. So we know what episode one is before they even go and decide to break in and, and get the only existing copy. Mm-hmm. It's it's a past, a look back. But yeah. It, it's great. The 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 point of these is like this is this wouldn't exist without fans and the way that we're doing things now I think is much more interconnected and the fans have a a much louder voice they're not just writing a letter to the studio or a fan mail to an actor they're like being able to directly tweet with their favorite actor or writer they're able to have much more of an interaction. Fans are making TikTok accounts where they are analyzing content. And then because of the whole success of their TikTok or maybe YouTube or whatever, they themselves are making it to the international premieres to the shows that they are talking about. And the fans are are responsible for serenity being a thing. But I think one of the things that's very interesting is that reinterpretation of work in modern media is sometimes stigmatized. Like people are like, no, 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 we can't, can't have that. Or you're, you're not, it's not canon because of so many different dramas that have happened over the years, uh, the last two, three decades in particular, we have our own language in the fan universe and each individual fandom has its own language on top of that different things that they are able to reference that those within the fandom are able to track. And there are so many fandoms that I'm like, I don't freaking know anything about that. But why is one of the most growing fan fiction uh, fandoms on AO3 currently Minecraft YouTubers? What? I don't (laughs) I, I'd why that's, that's where it gets a little creepy. The fan fiction that's written about real, person real fan people. Fiction. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I I avoid that um, like the plague. I understand why some people do that, but I personally that is a line that I don't want to cross, and I do not consume that media. But some people do, uh, and that's a different conversation where we're talking about like ethics and morality around these things. But I think like the whole debates that go through like with Anne Rice and how she was so against any fan interpretation. She's like, this is my work. This is how I wrote it. You are just absolutely wrong. Any of the other interpretations you have, whatever you took from my works, you are wrong. You are not allowed to write these things. She went and pursued legal action against people who are writing fan works. And that is why the Anne Rice works are still not prevalent in any fan fiction platform at all. There's very little of this work. And that is why on a lot of fan fictions, people who are getting into it in the early 2000s would have a disclaimer saying that they were not making any money off of these works and that they are not the owners of the things. Anything recognizable in here is not mine. 
And those those are kind of all products of the time. Like the history of fan fiction is fascinating and has had so many ups and downs. I've been in the world since 2004. So I've definitely seen like a lot of these things that have changed. But I know people who were involved in the, the early 80s who were doing the fanzines and doing things like that and seeing this as it like was doing early, early, early days and how it's evolved and changed. And with all of these evolutions, I mean, because I'm plugged in, I don't necessarily notice when there's something that you know, somebody else isn't going to like understand. Like you mentioned Slash earlier. So yeah, Slash fiction, that's uh, one of the ways you say this person with this person or shipping relationships where you see that these people are connected and there's... Uh, the the, lem the the citrus scale that existed for a while where you're trying to say how, yeah. how how dirty something was so there's the the lemon the lime there there is orange and a couple others that are all tossed in there lemon and lime is what you saw most of the time and they have different rating scales. They have uh, Dead Dove Do Not Eat, which is referencing, I believe, a Seinfeld episode where there was literally a bag that said Dead Dove Do Not Eat. And they opened it and there was a do dead dove inside of it. And they're just like, I don't know what I expected. So that basically tells you like a warning when you're reading a fan fiction. These are very t troubling or possibly problematic themes. It says it on the package. When you read it, don't be surprised. So those types of things exist. I love the stuff that comes in from the fandom that becomes a a staple. So like in the supernatural fandom, a John Winchester's A plus parenting is a tag, a warning, basically telling you that. There's trauma because he's such a bad parent. Parental trauma. Yeah. It's oh so it's so terrible. And that's like basically one of the warnings and the tags. The tagging system in general is such a wonderful thing that's come out of this. People are talking about starting to do more tagging in published uh, works and being able to have that more prevalent because the the site does the dog die has proven that people want to know what are potentially triggering events in what you're consuming and a lot of people avoid reading published books because they aren't sure and they'll turn to fan fiction because first of all it's comforting you already know the characters there's a lot of setup and it's just slightly tweaking things but you also have the warning of what you're going to be encountering and you and I are currently members of a Discord server of some pretty chill romance authors. We have all published our own works and everything. And there's a few of us. Like one of us has just created a spice scale that she's going to be putting on her website that we have all asked permission to start using and to kind of popularize so that we can kind of regulate the the regulate our spice levels for readers to let them know hey this one is not so spicy so i can read this in an afternoon in public and not be worried about somebody reading something like a word on the page and then like the higher spice levels you're like okay don't bring that to work you know <laughs> and another author was saying that she started putting trigger warnings on the back of the book on a little blurb if there's anything to do with like sexual assault or bullying or anything that might potentially trigger a reader because she has had readers in the past that have said, I had to stop reading your book because it triggered me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that 
published authors, they don't want to hear that we triggered our audience and they had to stop reading our books. I, I'm a person who has been triggered by a book before as well. Stephen King's It messed me up for a little bit. I and knew what was... It is, I don't like it when animals get hurt. I don't like them when innocent creatures get injured or tortured or whatever. And there is a lot towards the end of that book. And I, I read a couple bits of it and I had such a bad panic attack that I had to like hand the the book to my husband say you need to finish and figure out where the scene ends i'm gonna go cry in the bathtub for a while and like i i couldn't touch the book for like a month yeah and that's that's important you you're completely right with the triggering side effects i think any person who is a prolific reader has encountered that situation i have had books that i had to put down because i was very uncomfortable i have books that i was reading because i was i was probably too young to be reading some of the themes that i was reading i remember the wonderfully well-written story called deer skin i i don't know if you are familiar with that particular piece of work it's by robin mckinley i can't remember uh exactly which one it is I'm working on but robin mckinley does an amazing work but it is a very painful story the things that she has to go through and I was at that time fully empathizing with the main character and so it felt like it happened to me and I had to put that book away and I, I couldn't read it for years and I went back and read it again and I was like wow this is a really good book why did I never finish it oh that's why so those those things happen to most people and I think that having this more in our lexicon would be really helpful to people that maybe encourage others to read more, not be as afraid to pick things up, and also to really zero in on what you want to read. That's one of the coolest things with fan fiction. AO3 in particular, they, they're the gods when it comes to tagging and being able to sort through these things. If you want a specific thing, you like, I want an angsty story with a happy ending that is hurt comfort with enemies to lovers in this particular fandom with this particular pairing, this length, completed works only. Boom. You're going to be give able to like 400. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe three depends on the fandom you're in. But yes, like you can narrow it down and it gets more like these are so freaking cool. And then the community that's built from these works is so awesome. I have encountered so many wonderful authors, so many wonderful fans of fan fiction that share their favorite works. They're just like, oh, if you like this, you'll love this one. Oh, if you like that, check out this works. Oh, the works by this author. One of my absolute favorite authors is, I, I think I've actually mentioned them on here before because I talk about them all the freaking time, is Isama. And they write a ton of stuff in like Assassin's Creed universe. And that one is, is really cool. My other favorite is Valerie Vancoli. They are in the process of writing this massive story that is Thor Marvel universe, but it's, it's Loki focused. 
And once it's finished, I am 100% trying to make you read it, Kelly, because I think you'll like it. It's this whole series. She's she's already gotten so much of it planned. It's called The Song of Idrisil. But they are merging Norse mythology with the Marvel Universe and going so much more in depth, doing such a wonderful job. It is a genuine joy to read. And they update every Sunday and every Sunday. I freak out and lose my shit because they update it and I read it Monday morning. Right there. (laughs) They're they're, they're using Norse mythology in the MCU to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then this person is taking that one step further. And I already know a smidgen of Norse mythology from a TV show that was on Netflix, which is uh, from New Zealand called Mm -hmm. the Almighty Johnsons. Oh, yes. (laughs) And, so when you said Yggdrasil, I knew exactly what you were talking about. That's the sacred tree of life. So like, like that's, that's, there's so many different little things that like this inspired this, which inspired that, which inspired the other thing. And all of these stories, like stories are told to be built upon. Yeah. You know, they're, they started off like, if I recall correctly, in some of my drama classes and, and all of this stuff from got decades ago morality tales and morality plays were a big deal they would take fairly common stories but from like from the bible and they would retell them to audiences that could not read so that they could at least get some religion in their daily life Mm -hmm. and fast forward those morality tales and everything have morphed into other stories you know, there's a Tristan and Isolde became Romeo and Juliet, which became West Side Story and Avatar and like, mm-hmm. like it's all so of many. these things. Yeah, the, if you stop people from creating referential works, you're going to stop creative progress. That is the biggest problem I have with this because they have definitely put in protections in place that while you have created this and in your lifetime or for a period of time, you are able to profit off of that work. But then it is part of the creative commons. There is a infinite history, all the entirety of human history has been built off of a giant game of telephone of us Mm -hmm. telling stories. We used to have nothing but oral histories. And then we started documenting it and it became like, oh, well, this is the canon. And I feel that we've missed a big part of what human creativity is in that reinterpretation. Yeah, even Shakespeare's stuff, depending on which folio they found, some of Shakespeare's plays are not identical to Mm -hmm. the ones that are commonly in production in publication i mean we have the whole thing of of traveling bards and traveling minstrels who would take a story from town to town and they would tailor it to the audience and it was a tale of of woe of wonder of of romance whatever but it was to entertain but also inform and people would get their news and their understanding of the world from this traveling performer and then they would move on and go to the next town and it would be slightly different it wasn't something that they had to be like completely 100% loyal to a single script 
And a great, a great example of that is the Reduced Shakespeare Company's complete works of enter whatever here, abridged. Because they've done complete works of Hollywood, they've done complete works of Shakespeare, which is the one that I know the best. And they, there's one on YouTube that you can see, and it was one that they did a long time ago. But that is still a traveling show that happens. And every time you see it, it is different than mm-hmm. the last time you've seen it. It is different from the one that you've seen on YouTube. Because they have to update it. It is a living play. Yes, that's that's such a good example. It's such a good example because they are having this living, breathing creation that is able to adapt. And we have documents that people hold sacrosanct where they're just like, this cannot change. Missing the fact that it's already changed. The the one that comes to mind right now is the Bible. And people are like, well, it says it in the Bible. I'm like, the Bible has been translated, retranslated, and retranslated. It is a compilation and collection of stories from multiple different cultures compiled into one place that were lessons that people have learned from. They pick and chose which ones would be put into the final version. This isn't the exhaustive list. And they are allegories. They are not exactly. literal retellings. They are not history. They are historically relevant because they are a product of the time and place that they were created, but they are not history. And that is something that I feel we do people a disservice when we teach things as absolutes and not as these fluid changing things so that's actually why when some people are like oh why are we doing a remake of this film i loved it when it came out it came out 40 years ago the audience that's consuming it now doesn't necessarily have the same lens that it's viewing that through so reinterpretation even if it's not for me is still good i like when we have remakes i know people are like oh we're running out of ideas this is so stupid they don't have any creativity in hollywood we y'all haven't had quote <laughs> new ideas for centuries so shush exactly <laughs> that's that's exactly it i and that's just why we are i, I guess i'm i'm not as obsessed with having it be a, a specific method of you know creating like I I don't have a a litmus test or like a barrier I don't want to be the gatekeeper who's saying like oh it has to be this creative this unique to be able to be counted as an actual work most recent Ghostbusters was more lauded than the previous the all-female cast of Ghostbusters which I loved I really enjoyed the the that one. They had some really cool, interesting usage of newer technology for their ghosts, and yeah, some really cool aesthetics. And Chris Hemsworth was dancing. It was fun. He was such a himbo, and I loved it. Oh man, it's not as serious as the originals. Did we watch the same originals? They were the not serious. That's there. It's it's. First of all, you have Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, and Dan Aykroyd as the main actors in it. None of them take anything that they do seriously, especially around that time period. So, shh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but Afterlife was fantastic, by the way. So, yeah. 
I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to. I wasn't super excited about it because I don't necessarily get drawn to shows that feature younger people. So when it's well, like high schoolers, middle schoolers, I'm like, ah. Well, but- this was actually interesting. I, I actually enjoyed this because this felt like a movie that was, again, made by fans of the original. So it felt like kind of seeing a new chapter of a story you already knew. Okay. Well, I I definitely think that there's a lot of interesting potential with these remakes and reinterpretations. They're they're creating a new canon that can be continued and built. It's not like I loved the the reboot for Star Trek. The 2009 reboot they had was a complete divergence. It it felt like somebody was reading fan fiction and went, sure, we'll make that. And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah, Doctor <laughs> Who is another one. Doctor yes. Who is, is, it remakes itself it's literally every couple des- of seasons. It's designed to be remade. That That is so cool to me that yeah. every new version of the Doctor is a complete new version that is built on the foundation of the previous ones and they can have totally different takes they're all british but you know that's fine <laughs> they, hey, at least they, they've strayed from the all male section yes you know, yes gotten a woman we're gonna see if they can maybe make a not white next time. <laughs> but so they that is one of the things that is very cool with media and fan fiction and the pa- and fan works the power of the fans creating these things like heck yes like tell me more the other thing i wanted to circle back with on all of the, the tags that are specific to a fandom that are not necessarily you know scary but are more amusing. They end up becoming their own thing. So the original one that I think of is the tag, no beta, we die like men. So beta is a beta reader, somebody who goes through your work and finds your errors, your tenses are off, you misspelled something, you never capitalize the main character's name, you know, whatever it is that you in chapter two yes giant plot hole that's a little deeper sometimes beta don't do that (laughs) sometimes the betas are just like basically doing your your read through but yeah helping with the crazy plot hole being like why did they wear a red dress and then two sentences later it's a black dress like i don't understand so being able to help with those things they catch we also have what's called brit pickers they're very popular in the harry potter world where an american author writes something and then a brit picker goes in and says hey they wouldn't say shopping cart they'd say trolley they wouldn't say you know whatever this is they'd say buggy you know so they're able to help with the Britishisms and be able to make it more accurate but on top of that they have some very amusing versions of this that kind of come from the the fandom so in Supernatural they have no beta we die like Dean on a Tuesday so (laughs) Right. So they have supernatural fans out there. They get that immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's, it's kind of like a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge for the fans that you're like, you're in the fandom. They know that, you know, they understand it. They're able to 
have that little giggle. And I just, I love, I love those little things. Those are like some of my favorite aspects that there's, I think there's another one in Supernatural that says, no beta, we die like every female character. <laughs> you know, so they have different things that are, are very funny, but they have some that are like sad and it, it just ends up being these unique takes on things that builds within the universe. And then because of the fans knowing the drama uh, behind something, I this makes me think of like the Voltron fandom. I never got into that, but because I'm in fandom in general, I basically got like the backlash of it. And I was like, bah! so all of the stuff that was going on around the, the Clance fandom and how they were trying to like they, they were basically getting queer baited by by the writers, which is like, first of all, writers stop being fucking cowards. Write us gay relationships that are actually healthy. OK, you you build these amazing relationships that seem like they can go somewhere and you tease and tease and tease. And then they're just like, never mind. So, yeah, let's uh, we're looking at you, Sherlock. Sherlock, Supernatural, like there's it's the list is exhaustive. But that like Keith and Lance were one of the relationships that was kind of teased. They even like advertised it on social media to maybe hint that that was something that was going to happen and got some of the highest viewership that they had. And then they didn't do anything with it. People were just like, that's fucking bullshit. So that kind of circles back to some of the creation of fandoms in general the fandoms are really hard to predict people think like oh i'm gonna make this and it's gonna be like this uh, viral sensation it's gonna be the next game of thrones it's gonna be the next loss it's gonna be the next whatever you can't really predict that because fandoms don't just come out of loving something they come out of a lack of something so the potential harry potter is a wonderful example who knows who wrote it death of the author this random person just appeared by magic but the ah. actual content isn't the best writing it isn't the most revolutionary but it had enough world building and yet not enough world building so people were able to imagine things and they had the starting point but then things weren't explained in detail so there was enough room for others to build on top of that there is so much work that is written that's Harry Harry and Hermione, Harry and Draco, the Drary fan fictions. Uh, like that, I think that's like one of the biggest fan fandoms that exists. Draco and Hermione, they have time Snape traveling. They they do have Snape and Hermione, some of which is actually okay. I know that there's like a lot of people have a lot of issues with that. Time travel exists in this world ages are okay like y'all it's fine and snape is a very interesting character that the mysterious author didn't understand and wrote a shitty explanation where they could have actually been a redeeming character and the way that it's written in books is not redeemable i understand people who full-on hate snape that's fine fan fiction fandom and the fanon version of snape is not canon Please stop hating people who like Snape as a template. So a lot of these characters had this potential. And because there was a delay in the releases of the books and people were so active in the fandoms at the time, they were able to 
put in their predictions. And the funny thing is you, like I was reading the fan fiction when it was coming out before the books and people were predicting, oh, this is where it's going to go. This is where it's going to go. And then the book would come out and they're like, no longer canon, no longer canon compliant. And they would, you know, continue with their story or they would retcon and they would have to adjust things because everyone was trying to build on that. And it was missing so many things. It didn't have a ton of diversity. The diversity that was there is problematic. They didn't have um, representation of any, the, the way Harry is written in general, he is so oblivious that you're like, for all you know, every person there could have had wings. He was so oblivious. He never described these things. He could have missed that. Like, that's just how they're written. So the lack of insight that we have is the rule to why we have so much prolific fiction that is being written, like, constantly to this day. Same thing in supernatural relationships and the dissatisfaction of these characters not having happy endings, episodes not ending the way we thought they should. That's where all of this creativity is spawned from. It's not just, oh, I love the story. I'm going to write about the characters. It's, I love the story. I want to torture them. I want to torture the characters I love. Oh no, I de- they deserve a happy ending. It's, it's. I love the story. I'm going to make it better. Yes, I'm going to make it better. My favorite section of fan fiction I will read to my dying breath is a time travel fix it fix where I'm like, okay, I loved this story, but I feel like this was an injustice and a tragedy. We're going back in time and we are fixing this nonsense. And the person who's going back in time has the knowledge. I read a ton of these where Harry Potter traveled back in time. I read a bunch of these where it was somebody else, Snape, Voldemort, Harry Potter, whatever, random people, Dobby traveled back in time once. It was great. Rita Skeeter is not one that I've read much of, but I have read some redeeming Rita Skeeter stories. And I actually read one fan fiction that was going back to Dolores Umbridge and her youth and actually giving her like seeing the reasons why she became what she was, but how she was actually like a different good person. She was kind of like moaning Myrtle when she was younger. And then she like went in a different route and she wanted to control things so much. And she loves the aesthetic and the appearances, but she has no control in her life. So she tried, it was very interesting. It was very interesting character study. And I was like, why are you making me like this person? I hate her. I enjoy hating her. So it's, that's one of the cool things where like with the right writing, the right author, the right creator, any of these things are possible. I have read some of the most bizarre stuff where I'm like, well, no, I'm not gonna like that. And then I read it and I'm like, well, it makes sense when you say it. So (laughs) (laughs) one of the things in fan fiction they say is your OTP or your OT3. So it's one true pairing or one true uh, threesome thruple, whatever. And those are the ones where they're like, okay, well, this is my one that I read. It's my go-to. And I I have a few go-to, but in general, I'm willing to branch out. I'll go and read other stuff if they have these various characters. And then there's the also the term in fan fiction called the bicycle. So that is the oh. one that can be matched with anybody. So for and a while, is. is matched with anybody. Um, 
So everyone can take a ride. <laughs> it's the bicycle. So for some people, their bicycle is a Hermione. They'll read anything with any pairing if Hermione is part of the pairing. There's you know, a variety that they have that situation. So it's it's such an interesting microcosm. And I love being part of this community. It's something that I've like, this. these are my people. I understand these people. <laughs> and I love the creativity, the constant contribution to new works and how this is a proving ground for authors where they're able to go on and, and write their own thing or they can just use it as an outlet. I know some authors who are like neurosurgeons. Some people are physicists. Some people are professors of various like hard sciences. There's everyone from dishwashers on to like I'll CEOs like <laughs> it can be anyone and the other fun thing is the actual creators of the works can write their own fan fiction of their work there are confirmed cases of authors writing fan fiction that is totally different from how it went in the book or in the movie and the fans are like wait is this you and maybe <laughs> because they go off on these tangents of like this was one of their ideas this is one of the things they wanted to do but they just didn't think it would work with the story or whatever but they're exploring them and i think these days that a lot of people who are creating content are aware of the fan fiction and are reading it and seeing what's popular, seeing what the ideas are, the guesses are. I feel like the MCU is guilty of that. At least somebody, maybe just an intern, is reading some of this shit because the What If series, that was basically fan fiction. <laughs> well, the what if the what if series is actually kind of canon in itself because what if there was a I think there was actually comics. Yes, I I do know yeah. I do know that, yeah. but but I think like, there's that the 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 way they take some of these directions, it it does feel like they're taking some from the fan universe rather than yeah, just I mean, pulling it whole actually, cloth. Talking about comic books, the reason why Robin was killed off from the Batman comics way back in the day, and it was because the fans wrote in and voted. Because they hated the Robin character at the time. <laughs> oh no. And so the creators of, of the Batman comics killed off Robin. And then later revived him. So it, it's just... Fans are extremely powerful. They are. And I... I like you and I... Because we have such such a background in all of these different types of storytelling, like we have the ability to... When we're talking about the stories that we're currently working on... like we bounce ideas back and forth so quickly. And I'm just like, I, I can't write these fast enough. You know? <laughs> we are very prolific in our ideas, but we, Kelly so yeah, far but, is the only one who's finished anything. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm trying to get them done. We have a story that we started when we literally like first met each other, mm -hmm. like maybe a year after knowing each other. I was like, hey, guess what? I'm moving. By the way, I thought about this. And now I'm like, <laughs> I still need to write that. But but these, we are able to to go back and forth and be like, well, what if this happens? And what if this is what influenced that? And we've created all of these different characters that we'll probably never see 
the page in these stories, but but we have such rich backstories for these characters that like I'm already planning for my, the book that I'm working on right now. I'm already planning on writing another book that is just a series of short stories of the characters that were mentioned. Yeah, because there's the main... some of them that are literally just mentioned. There's there's yeah. nothing else that they like my one of my favorite characters we've made is Doris. I know, I love <laughs> Doris. Doris is awesome and we're going to have to have this whole like we're going to have to have a separate work that is just the tales of Doris. Yeah. The many, like, many she's misadventures awesome. of Doris. Every time I talk about uh, the books that we are currently in the process of creating, I'm hesitant to release too many details mm -hmm. because I'm always terrified that somebody's going to snake the idea before I can get it finished. Mm -hmm. That's why we haven't talked about these too much until they actually get to the final stages. And we have yeah. some stuff in the works right now. I'm so excited. I genuinely, yeah. the stuff you're working on at the moment, I'm obsessed. I, I me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, you and I, when we started talking about this story, like we had all these other different stories that we were going to tell about this universe that we had created. And suddenly this idea popped into my head. And when I told you about it, whoosh, it was like, <laughs> if anybody has seen free guy and they talk about the AI engine where one word triggered and then all of these other things built off from that, that was my, that was our brains. Yes. <laughs> at that moment, it was just like, all of a sudden, everything's coming up in multicolored. Oh, my God. It, it's a flood of animation. And the fact that every time we talk about these stories, new stuff comes out, new characters, new backstories for these characters that, again, are just mentioned, you know, but that influence the rest of the story and the trajectory of where it goes. It's, it's I mean, we, we so win. cool. And I think that's... We went back in time, like, a century, yeah. and then, like, carried it back through to the present. Like, what? Yeah. We had a whole mirroring section that mirrors the century ago that, of course, is not going to be mentioned in the main story, but mm -hmm. we're going to have to mention it in the, the shorts collection that yeah. is released after. But, like, I think, I think our ability to, to go through... And create these stories, I think, is because of the amount of of exposure that we've had to all of these different media mm -hmm. forms of where they they take like just to fan fiction alone, where you see something like, yes, this story, we know the story, it's something that we're very familiar with. But then these different fans here wrote the story in a slightly different way, basically just said, what if? Yeah. And ran with it. And because we've seen those different scenarios and seen how they played out, we kind of have this weird ability to go, well, now I have like six different scenarios in my head for one character in one scene. Yep. And then you can basically plot the path to the solution, like the, the way you want, sometimes the most painful way possible. I, I would yes. say you are doing some torture to these characters I'm doing and i some love horrible it things. I I, love it's it so, so melodramatic oh my god and i like i told you uh off the <laughs> the story off the uh podcast that like 
I, I, I'm getting like both of us when we're talking about these those specific scenes that are extremely painful for these two characters. I mean, they are ripping their hearts out, and like as we're talking about it, like I'm getting emotional, you're getting emotional, and I'm like, I'm. I'm taking a little bit of joy at the knowledge that I am going to be causing my readers this pain. Yeah, because you're going to be right. You're writing it so well. Characters that we care about so much. I'm looking forward to the eventual fan fiction I can read about your story. I me too. <laughs> I, I would so love good. to hear it. I can't it's wait. So I I've told yeah, you know, you're aware of the story. Our friend Jasmine is aware of the story and my best friend Liz is aware of the story and all both of them when I have told them of the story and gave them the little synopsis they both were asking the same questions around the same parts. They were both going, "Oh, no." And I was like, <laughs> "Is this doing what I want it to do?" <laughs> so it's the best. And that's yeah. that's what I want. I want that inspiration, creativity, and the continuation of the human voice. Our lived experiences, our creative thoughts, they connect us to the past. And fan works and the reinterpretation of things is such a wonderful legacy of being a human. It's a way, it's a way to move the past into the future. It is. It's so yeah. cool. So cool. This, that's why I geeked out over all this stuff. That's why we need to protect it. We need to make sure that people aren't trying to get greedy and hold on to things and, you know, be able to let things go into the creative commons, be able to support those that are doing this for no profit, just for passion. Yeah, so, don't be an Anne Rice. Don't, don't be say like, this is my work. <laughs> you know, don't, like, no. Yeah. We're not don't becoming rabid. Don't sue people because they're appreciating what you're doing. And any of you listeners, go check out some of the fan fiction on AO3 for the various works and media that you love. They probably have a section for it. Um, you may want to sort. Say, you may want to yeah, sort by kudos. Sort sort by yeah. kudos. That's what we use to say like somebody really liked it. And you know the ones that are going to be the top kudos are usually better written. <laughs> um, don't do it just by length or by like amount of hits or whatever, but do by the the kudos. And then you put it in there with some things that you narrow down. Uh, I know some people say AO3 is confusing. I think it's very intuitive, but there are YouTube videos on how to use it if you need help. But support those people and continue the conversation and reach out to your representatives to let them know that you want to have that freedom. So Yeah, and what are and while we're at talking about the representatives, what are the names of the acts that are going to be put up? So they are colloquially known as the Earn It Act and the Shop Safe Act. Uh, and then the standard, uh, an imposition of the standard technical measures for the Copyright Office. Um, so those are kind of the, the main ones that they're really looking at at the moment. Um, Earn It Act is going to be more of a danger to anything that's in the LGBTQ space. Um, the Shop Safe is for fan-made works um and that's not just um you know 
fan fiction or anything because you're not really profiting off of that but that is any representation of fan imagery so if you like pokemon and you want to get a shirt that has just it's a yellow shirt that has like the little red circles on it and and like vague men like you can tell that it's pikachu but it's not a like it doesn't say pikachu doesn't have any pikachu art on it that would not be allowed those people would be shut down uh, any resale of memorabilia is going to be shut down. Um, the If you have something on eBay, no longer to be able to sell that. So memorabilia, resale, fan art, uh, all these markets are going to be uh, completely targeted by uh, on any e-commerce site and because they're trying to protect the uh, original creators, which for resale, it, it, it's kind of crazy that they're doing this. Etsy stores that just shut down completely destroyed yeah eBay completely destroyed like it if you're trying to buy like a Star Trek mug that's from the 80s good luck like you, you mm-hmm. gotta get lucky at a thrift store I guess so definitely a, an interesting time that we live in um, these same like the Earn It Act is basically brought back from something that was shut down um, uh, about five years ago it's kind of an um a an additional thing to, I can't remember the name of it once uh, that happened. It was, it started with an N. It's the one that actually went through that was supposedly going to help uh, against child pornography being um, sent around. But all it did is prevent legitimate sex work that was previously uh, being much safer on these platforms and uh, much better for, for sex workers. Sex work is real work. Um, and they were previously, uh, able to do this and they took away a lot of their protections, um, with the claim that it was going to prevent, uh, child exploitation and they don't have any evidence that it actually did. So mm-hmm. any real way for them to get their puritanical viewpoints and try to control people, particularly women's bodies and, um, queer bodies is disappointing and something we don't want to support so um you know take action if you can um ao3 actually has a very good article about this that i think we should link when we post this um that goes into the various legal issues and links on what you can do how you can get more knowledge uh and how you can uh, communicate with your uh, representatives so we'll we'll link that but uh, that's kind of what inspired us to talk about this topic at the moment and how we yeah. find it to be such a relevant subject matter, uh, something I'm very passionate about. I know, Kelly, you are passionate about and that uh, I think others just benefit from this. So there's there's no negatives here. Just, uh, yeah. you know, go go forth and enjoy. <laughs> yeah. We will be posting a link to that article on our our Twitter page at chronic underscore media. We'll also have a link to it on our Instagram, chronic underscore media pod. We'll also list the names of the acts that are being released there as well. So if you want to contact us on that, if you want to take a look at them, definitely check us out. And if you have any questions, any comments, any things that you want to add, go ahead and contact us on either of those platforms, or you can contact us at chronicmediaconsumption at gmail.com. And if you have any fanfiction recommendations or you want any fanfiction recommendations, feel free to reach out. 
I have many. <laughs> uh, pick a fandom. I'll see if I can help. Uh, but thank you so much for, for joining us on another lovely episode of Chronic Media Consumption. It has been a wonderful time. I'm going to go read some more fan fiction to wind down for the night. So thanks again. And as always, I am Michelle. I am Kelly. Thank you. And bye-bye! <laughs> <laughs>